Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. Welcome to Annexos Access All Areas. My name is Bee and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Annexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in Excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Access, Access All Areas, episode 42, the podcast that dives deep into this awesome band, tries to get them in the Rock Hall of Fame, plus have some fun with a community of like-minded individuals and maybe bring people on for the ride, B. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Hayden? Not bad, not bad. We uh, Big week, I guess. We'll touch on some of those things throughout uh, the episode, but uh, I do always like to ask, how's your In Excess week been? Mine individually. I've got a teapot. <laughs> You did. You did. did. Now, <laughs> me being a bit dumb, it uh, took a while to pick up on the clues on it, but it was a teapot and it had a, the word queen on it, then a picture of a bee. Yeah. And uh, it took me about 10 minutes to figure out, oh, queen bee, oh, bee. Ah, got it. Yeah. From a, a one of our patrons in Florida. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Danielle came from yes. Danielle. So thank you, Danielle and Joel. Thank you very much. Such a sweet couple. And uh, wow, so heavy. It must have cost more than it, <laughs> to, to deliver it than it did to uh, to buy it, I reckon. It's yeah. just beautiful. All right. So uh, I guess uh, throughout the week, it's been a busy week, etc. There, We're coming off the back of our uh, Mark, Mark Opitz episode last week, which uh, garnered a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, feedback and things, which is particularly good. I guess Mark had a lot to say, and we're very much looking forward to him. Actually, there he is in the green room again. Yeah, there he is. He's anxious to get on, isn't he, Mark? He's... What's that, Mark? You want to become a patron, an honorary patron? Ah, okay. Well, you've got a couple more episodes to go, and then we, you know, we'll ask Nick Egan, and we might have to uh, just follow up a bit with that. But uh, you're on the right track, anyway. But uh, thank you again for Mark being on last week and coming all the way back again this week, B. Well, actually, Mark's been very generous to us. Okay, please tell. I'm going to tell. He has got some signed copies of his book. Do you remember what the book's called, Hayden? Sophisto Punk. Exactly. So he's given us five copies of that book to give away. So we'll have to come up with some sort of competition next week or something, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that. And I look, it's funny, it's a, it's a book that I haven't read and I really no. have to put it out there that I haven't. And when I go to airports, I look for books to read. And, and, and again, they're generally music type stuff. And I've in the last few years, I've tried to keep my open at some of the airports and things. And I just haven't seen it. And it's been on my bucket list to read. So I, I can't wait to, to get access to a copy and read it. And, you know, you know, if, if it's anything to go by the interview-wise, I think it's going to be a great read for everybody. Well, Hayden, you're very lucky because Mark is sending you a personal signed copy. Oh. Well, oh, did I spoil that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm humble central down here if that's the case. I Thank know. you very much, Mark. Very Thank lucky. you. Very lucky. Very. Yes. What Actually, did you find? Oh. I've got quite a lot to say when you've stopped. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's new rules now. It's you, ladies first. Okay. Oh, okay. Right, let me go through my little list. Okay. okay. First of all, Carmen has um, has received her lovely prize that from Nick Egan. So oh, wow. hopefully, um, yeah, perfect timing for her. So I can't wait to see that on your wall, Carmen, or frame. So let us know how that goes. Um, 
did you see that we crashed through through 19,000 downloads? We did. That was very exciting to see. It means people are getting out and having a listen and it's influencing uh, people's understanding of the band and motivating yeah. them to buy albums and enjoy. Fantastic. Yeah, and I haven't been able to post anything about that because I've been sort of, I don't know, with all this Australian news versus Facebook, they've pulled the plug on me, just me, um, from um, the page. So the admin are there, carrie Ann and Laurie and yourself, but not me. I am invisible. So, sorry, everybody, you're not going to see any posts from me, no comments, no likes, nothing. You see, the reality is that they should be removing me because I'm not the greatest (laughs) replier and things like that. So, (laughs) you know, it's sort of ironic. Maybe I'll have to put on your B persona. Perhaps uh, that's what it is. Perhaps Facebook is saying, come on, Hayden pull your finger out your bum and, and get on with it while B can have a maybe, rest. Maybe the, or maybe what they're saying is a B, you've broken the mainframe, uh, <laughs> the auxiliary service. Uh, there's a guy in a wheel because of all the posts you do and they can't keep up with you. Well, they might have had wind that I'm saying, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. I'm, we're oh. heading for YouTube. Or Parlour. Oh, Parlour. Parlour, that's a new one too. Is but, it? Um, oh, tell me more about that. But did you see the video, the, the our promo video? Well, you know me, I'm a bit slow on the uptake with a lot of this technology. Yeah, I but, know you are. <laughs> but you, you were sending me stuff like, I hadn't seen this yet. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was just What's she picture. sending me now? <laughs> well, I'm just like, oh, it's a picture. But then you put on this video and then it was sort of people were responding. And I'm going, oh, wow, that, that, looks, that looks almost like we're professional. <laughs> which I can say to all the listeners out there, we are far from, and, um, you know, it looks like a well-oiled machine, but we're still figuring this thing out. But uh, kudos to you. You know, all this sort of stuff has got nothing to do with me. I come on and waffle about the band and, and you put all the stuff together. So thank you um, uh, for all of that. Okay. Well, in less than 24 hours, we have got 42 subscribers to our YouTube channel. Okay. So if you'd like to come and find us out on YouTube, because that is where we are heading. Now, B. Yes, what? It's episode 42. What did I say? You said we got 42 YouTube channel subscribers. We have another synchronicity thing happening here. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you know what? I'm going to quickly jump. To, well, actually, no, I won't jump to the news. I'll wait for that. But there's some more synchronicity with that number. But uh, anyway, we want to always, as we do, welcome our, our patrons to the podcast, um, both honorary in the case of Nick Egan and all of our regular podcasters. So over to you, B. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Hello and thank you to Nick Egan, Pedro, Anne-Marie, Foxy, Felicia, Sarah Markram, Laurie, Carmen, Sudi, Matt Dean, Joe Robbins, Mandy, Linda, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Amanda H, Leon, Lisa Urban, Lisa Calloway, Lisa Mack, Kathy, Carrie Ann, Vern, Caroline, Tracy, Susan B, Susan P, David, Sandrine, Paul J, Paul B, Joseph, Sarah Kemia, Warren, and Amanda and Melissa. Thank you all. Thank you very, very much. All right. Well, as I said earlier, we're doing part two with Mark uh, Opitz today and looking forward to just diving deep a little bit into sort of Mark's career. We really had a bit of an in excess tinge last week uh, or flavour to, you know, part one of the, the story in the interview. But want to really, I guess, dive deep into Mark's overall career because I guess uh, leading up to in excess and post and pre, uh, there's some amazing stories, some amazing achievements. 
Um, so really looking forward to hearing a bit about those and um, and just obviously a little bit about music and things that uh, you know Mark has achieved and you know how he's gone about his craft. And on top of that, there will be, I'm sure, more in excess sort of anecdotes given given it's you know a theme of of our podcast being in excess and Mark being heavily involved with the band. So uh, yeah, looking forward to just tackling more about Mark and uh, having the listeners you know really taken on a bit of a tour because. He's our George Martin uh, of Australian music. He literally has his fingerprints over some of the most unbelievable music that's come out of here. And I know the uh, montage of songs last week, you know, was really well responded to. And I think you even said to me, B, you'll become an Angels fan. Is that right? I just loved the play out. I could, did I you? was like, dance. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did, I couldn't get it out you heard of my that head? song before? <laughs> no. Had you heard this? Right, no, I had heard the song, but not that version. Right. The, and the, the, and the crowd refrain. <laughs> I just hope that iTunes doesn't find us and <laughs> takes yeah. us down. <laughs> so for those who didn't hear the refrain last week, it was, am I ever going to see your face again? No way. Get me off. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it is classic bogan, or as you would say in England, a chav or chav or something like yeah, that. Is that right? Something like but, that, yeah. But uh, that song has developed a sort of icon status over here. And, uh, yeah, so that was uh, credit to Mark in the early days, I yeah. think, uh, helping I'm that looking, song. I'm looking forward to Mark talking about his early um, career as well and how he got into producing and just the backbones of it all it'll be interesting to hear that because the thing I said last week which you know Mark handled pretty well was an A&R guy is sort of a I guess abbreviation for called artist and, and and repertoire and those are the guys that generally come in and interfere from the record company with the artists often they'll go in and go yeah you know i like that song but do you think we can cut a verse and get to the chorus quicker mm-hmm. it's sort of like the money men the guys who are sort of in between the the big wigs and in, in the sort of head office um, record companies and the band and a lot of the time those A&R guys uh, are really shunned you know from the bands in the sense of the band hate them but Mark coming from a credible position of production and some of the musical background and then going into A&R and then going out of A&R back into producing and all the other things yeah. seems to, you know, dodge that bullet or dodge that sort of perception of being a, a suit, as they mm. call them sometimes. Mm, mm. I think everyone's in for a treat anyway, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Excellent. What's the time for, B? It's time for the news. Hi, it's Carmen here from Wollongong, Australia. You're listening to the world's best in excess podcast, in excess access, all areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, the news of the week. We always start off with the charts, and as I alluded to earlier, this is a sort of magic number that creates synchronicity. The album last week was 41, the very best of in excess. Uh, diamond status here in Australia. Uh, You're going it- to say... 42, aren't you? Correct. It's dropped to 42. So we're having having some of these magic moments of the number 42, 42 YouTubers. No, we Um, can't keep going down. (laughs) No, well, we don't want to have a 1,000 YouTubers and see the song uh, with the album go to number 1,000 on the chart. So (laughs) we'll uh, we'll do our best to dodge the the number comparisons. But uh, something we like to do is, you know, globally give a little bit of news about, you know, in excess music being played. So sometimes it can relate to cover bands, it can relate to, uh, more premium acts who uh, obviously have uh, uh, an in excess background. So such as those as John Stevens, who is touring sort of uh, nationally uh, around all of the particular areas. I think he's coming your way. Is he, has he been there yet your way, B? Is he coming to your area? You look confused. No, I'm not sure what my face is supposed to be looking like. <laughs> but right. So he's coming here tomorrow. Oh, and I've heard that he's not been very well, bless oh. him. I heard that this 
this tour has been a bit like a dartboard. It's literally been thrown at the dartboard and go, right, we're going here, we're going there. And it's been pretty crawling for John and he's not been well and he's literally been sleeping in between. So we wish you well, John. And then I found out that um, my friend could not get me a ticket after all. And, oh. and, um, and he's sold out. So oh. as we speak, she's scrambling to try and get me a ticket. Right. Okay. Well, uh, that's know- okay. That's okay. Yeah. I'll let it go. We'll let it go. Well, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit of news about John. I think there was uh, one of his gigs last week. He sort of went a bit political about you know the government and helping out the music scene and a few things. Mm. And um, you know he got reporters you know having a little bit of an out, not outburst, but just a bit of a, a stance on stage about you know helping artists get back uh, into the swing. And mm. um, I know there was a big package thing relief earlier in the year or end of last year, but. Um, you know, John's been such a sort of a, a positive grandstander yeah. for Australian music. Um, mm-hmm. So good on him for out there sharing his voice to that. Also, too, over in America, I think the Kick, uh, NXS Kick Experience, they're playing in Charlotte in September. Oh, yeah. So uh, check your local guides for some of those in America. Mm-hmm. I know the uh, the Don't Change guys are heading down to the Gong, Wollongong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yes. So hello, Carmen, if you get a chance to play there. Oh, sorry, watch them there. And oh, she'll love that. I know. And I know also the uh, Don't Change guys are heading to South Australia as well in May. The What You Need uh, guys, uh, the NXS cover band in Perth in WA, are playing, I think, in March the 27th over there, one of the, sort of the major hotel groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Excessive, might be the New South Wales in Excessive, they're playing at the Heritage Hotel, literally in two nights' time in Bully. Yeah. I know a few people go in there. Have a good time. Is that yeah. up your way, Bully? This that's Central no. Coast and above. Or? Oh no, <laughs> I don't well. know, but I do know that Heritage Hotel. It comes right. up quite a bit, bit, and I've seen a few people say they go. Yeah. In. So look, we just you know we like to promote. Bully. Yeah, Bully, okay. Um, I'm showing my uh, my Mexican lower, you know. Bully. Yes, I do very. <laughs> we we changed we changed dialects then for a bit. I reckon. Well, for those those in America, like if you're from Victoria or Melbourne, Australia, and you're chatting to a New South Wales person who's above us, they refer to us as you know rather. Um, I guess disrespectfully sometimes as Mexicans because we're south of their border. That's true. So uh, <laughs> if I have got the word bully and it should be bully, okay, apologies. But uh, uh, what I can say is we love to promote in excess music being played around the globe. And uh, we do have a lot of listeners around the globe who can get to these gigs. So uh, it's nice to know that they're out there being played. And some of these, and some of these gigs also are streamed and played sort of, I guess, mm. on streaming services. So it might be something you can punch into the website and, and follow some of these bands live, which I think we did a few months ago, didn't we? One of those shows in America, I think it was The Kick Experience. The Kick Experience, yeah. 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 Anything to say about that, B? Not really. <laughs> no? You, you, had, you had a gasp there like you're about to, about to say something. So maybe that's Where's the way that? I... That's the way I keep you quiet. I just ask you a question. Yeah, usually. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Also, too, uh, Andrew Farris, who's got a bunch of shows coming up in April and May, I just found out he's playing here in Melbourne on May the 7th. <gasps> You're going to go? I'm going to go. So it's, Yeah. So it's actually about a couple of kilometres from uh, a house that I have, not the one I'm living in now, but a house that I'm renting out. So uh, it's in uh, North area in Melbourne on May the 7th. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So I'm going to... Uh, May the 7th. May the 7th, yeah. That's the day before our podcast birthday. Oh, okay. What are you going to do? 
I'll go to both. <laughs> yeah. Don't let, don't Better let... not get trashed and miss my party. Correct. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, there was the Triple M, uh, which is that, uh, I think, uh, in excess earlier for those uh, who don't know, we, we announced the GOAT, the greatest of all time by Triple M Rock Station here in Australia. They had a good article this week with Andrew talking about his tour and things. So do yourself a favour. Uh, you can Google that article. There's some, some good aspects there. And I guess Andrew's just still way out in front in the media wars and the media battles, I think, at the moment. So, uh, Kirk, where are you? Andrew is uh, leading you down the uh, Flemington Strait like no no tomorrow. So, okay. Also, Hang on. I do have oh. something to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go. Did, I don't, did I mention this last week that someone told me that, you know, when we talk about media wars, that someone actually asked Kirk about it and he says, yeah, that's true. We do. It is a competition. Ah. <laughs> did I did I say that last week? You did have some mention about it. I look at Tim and Kirk have always been the sort of the media oh. guys of the band, but yeah, uh, but it's a competition yeah. between them. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe if we get Kirk on our podcast in one of these days, he can. Uh, well, maybe we can do a compilation, a Kirk compilation of all the times that we've highlighted him being in these media competitions and things like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you think he'll come on with his uh, saxophone? <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, maybe he'll do a pose, okay, which would be fine. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think there's one other article too this week. It was uh, called Future Rock Legends Re Hall of Fame. Now, I'm, we are going to do a Hall of Fame, Rock Hall of Fame edition in the next couple of weeks. And Ooh. I thought it, it's really time that we dive deep into sort of how this sort of institution works, what in excess maybe need to do or what needs to happen for this to work and, and proceed forward. Pretty so, cool. Yeah. So we will dive deep into that and we'll talk about this year's nominees and, uh, you know, we'll talk good, bad and ugly about that. I feel a rant coming on. But, uh, yeah, that's something to, you know, put aside for an episode in the next couple of weeks, Boo. Okay, so you're going to be ranting again So It's been a very long time. I know, I know. It will be a rage, won't it? In fact, I, 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 feel in the belly. <laughs> I feel like I've got to get a little rant out on this episode, uh, so beware, listeners. There could be a two-, three-minute rant coming up. Do I have soon. to ruffle your hair and get you really Not annoyed? Not at all. This no. rant comes from within and it comes from a place <laughs> that is very easy to tap into. <laughs> Okay. And I have to smack you on the back of the head and not correct you or anything like correct. that. <laughs> you know, you don't have to say one word, okay, and it will go off. Do you know what that word is? Bon Jovi. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go Nickelback and I thought, no, for Dr. Jim, it'll be Bon Jovi. That'll set me off. Okay. okay? You mean we live in a world where Bon Jovi's in the Rock Hall of Fame, okay, and NXS can't even get nominated? <gasps> really? Come on, John, get on the get on the helicopter. There's a there's a hairdryer. <laughs> there's on a hairdryer there. on there, John. That's a classic. <laughs> okay, I'm All not right. sorry, John. All right, I am. That, enough from me. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. There's one more little bit of news. Uh, there was an article in the Herald Sun this week about NXS. Uh, it was just about a, about, a, about a podcast, actually, yeah. that, um, oh, hang on. There's some names that look familiar. Uh, Hayden and B. <laughs> Hayden with an E. That's interesting. That's not my name. But, uh, <laughs> but tongue out of my cheek. Hayden <laughs> Tongue out of my cheek. Thank you, Cameron Adams from the Herald Sun for the second time this year. You've, you've uh, highlighted our, our podcast. Um, you're a great friend of the program. Uh, two more great articles, and you'll be an honorary uh, patron as well. <laughs> two okay. more. <laughs> uh, maybe, a, maybe a double feature spread on us uh, and the podcast and things. We'll make you a platinum honorary uh, greatest of all time honorary member. 
Yeah, I want to be on a Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But uh, yes, that was nice. It it was really nice. Yeah, Yeah. it was good. Yeah, very, very nice. Thank you very much. And thank you to everybody who who gave us a a shout out for it too. Mm. Yeah, we shamelessly plugged it on our Facebook pages. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. News of the week. Hey, this is Tim Farris, and you're listening to Access All Areas in Hayden and B. Now it's time for Topic of the Week, sponsored by Tilly and Wilbur, providing unique Australian design and affordable expressive wear. They make ethical choices one tea at a time by using sustainable quality clothing, supporting fair trade and using recycled packaging. Use the code INEXCESSPOD for 20% off your first purchase at tillyandwilbur.com.au. We're here today with B and myself of NXS Access All Areas. I'm just going to share with the listeners out there, as a kid, I used to see the names Horn, Clear Mountain, Gaiman, Lenoir, Eno, Spectre, but more commonly Opitz in Australia because of uh, this particular gentleman's contribution to Australian music initially. Uh, Mark Opitz, welcome to NXS Access All Areas. Thank you very much. 
uh, Hayden and B. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Now, to I guess for the uh, the sort of learned listener, um, people will be very familiar with you. And, and I guess for some of our audience, uh, maybe from overseas or less inclined, um, to call you, I think, a producer would sort of deny you, uh, I think, probably um, half your achievements. I guess everything from film TV to uh, A&R, uh, I guess, uh, involved with being an author, you know, director of, of, of uh, One Music. Uh, I know you put a, a, pro- a project together called Best Seat in the House, which we'll talk about. Um, and I think most interestingly, you survived the A&R tag to have a career. A lot of A&R guys cop the uh, abuse from the bands, but you seem to uh, translate into production work post that. Um, you see yourself more as a music man than a producer, I would assume. Uh, absolutely, Hayden. Very well put. I, I, I've never seen myself as a producer. I don't even know what a record producer does. I really don't. You know, like I've only ever worked with uh, Harry Vander and George Young as when I was apprenticed with them. But um, And so I've just picked up my cues from them. I don't work in that same style. I borrow a, a few of their music techniques uh, and things like that. But I have never worked with another producer, and so I really don't know what a producer is supposed to do. I really don't. Yeah. But I'm but, – but I – but as you said, a music person most definitely, and even to the point where, like, I, I do work for Australian National University as well. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a Coombs Fellowship from them, and that, which is, you know, speaking of in excess, you know, Andrew Farris got one as well. So we're sort yeah. of like twin, twins. I was going to say, was it the same yeah. fellowship that you got? Because he he based himself there for a while, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, well, well, well yeah, I, I was I was a, a visiting fellow, like, which is like a visiting professor, I yeah. guess. And, uh, and they have this award every three years called the HC Coombs or Nugget Coombs for our Australian listeners might be um, aware of uh, he was a vice-chancellor of AN, one of the first vice-chancellors of ANU, also a, a treasurer, I think, in Chifley government, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a very learned man, had a lot of time for Indigenous people in the arts. Yeah. And uh, so they named their arts and cultural fellowship after him at ANU called the H.C. Coombs Fellowship. And so you that's an award as opposed to being a um, – it's, it's a fellowship, but it's not like being a visiting fellow. It's You, it's a, you get a, a bursary with it, uh, which is not a lot of money, uh, And but, you, but the great thing is you get to do whatever research projects you want to do at Australian National University, plus you can spend as much time there in residence. I had two offices there for the uh, 13 months that I was doing it. And uh, and I spent, as Andrew did, um, we went in during his tenure, he spent a lot of time there with the students. I spent a lot of time there with the students. And and the, the dean of the School of Music told me, usually when people win this, they don't even turn up. They just take the oh, money. Really? Oh. Maybe do it. Uh, but, but Andrew and I, and we're very good mates, obviously, um, took quite seriously to the point that we're, we were discussing two weeks ago at, uh, at Chris's wake, if you will, or party, um, um, that we both want to go back to ANU and deconstruct Welcome to Wherever You Are oh. for the, uh, as, as a lecture. As can a lecture. Uh, Fantastic. Can I, can I come? Can I uh, sign no, up to no, that me, university me. course? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you have to be doing, you know, like... Uh, Podcasts. You know, 
that's right podcast Mark I'll carry your bags and I'll be your two IC I'll, I'll get your glasses yeah, but, water like that guy in the castle movie where he you know the lawyer yeah, yeah, yeah. the glasses uh, again I haven't seen the movie but the um, but no Andrew and I uh, take it very seriously uh, yeah. and and he's, he's it's I mean obviously he's got his he's got his big country boy hat on at the moment doing this country thing yeah and um but no, but as yeah, we're both lucky, both of us. It's funny we've both got AMs and we've both got the fellowships. Yeah. So it's really it's just bizarre, you know. And did um, you follow him or did he follow you getting the? Uh, no, I, no, no, no. He went first, of course. Right. He went first. Right. Come on, oh, you know, Andrew Ferris. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, that's what we'd like to do is do a deconstruction. So lecture. What got you into music at the very beginning, then? Really, I mean, were you? Musical at school, or how did that? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, it, it, well, I know how it happened. What got me into music in the beginning was how can I put this without sounding? Um, I don't know. You know, poor me. Um, I spent a little time in a children's home okay. in, in uh, growing up, my mm-hmm. brother and I. You know, about three years, and it was a big dormitory, and there was fifty-four beds in the dormitory. And I was in the front row. It was like, you know, of these four beds in the front row, then they all sped back and there's all along the sides of all these boys and all these kids. And um, and, and on Sunday night at 6 o'clock or 6.30, there was a big radiogram in front of my bed, maybe eight feet away, you know, two metres away from my bed, that, that they would turn the radiogram on so we could listen to the hit parade, not yeah. top forty. The hit parade. hit parade, and so and so from the age of you know, I was quite young, you know, eight, eight, nine, ten, I think. I was listening to stuff like Del Shannon and you know, um, Gene McDaniel's, uh, John D. Loudermill, um, uh, Connie Francis. I, so that was the radio was a lifeline to my dreams. And it was like a I, magical box of music. It was a magical box. And then, yeah. then when when, when uh, uh, my brother and I left the, uh, the, the, um, the boys' home and our mother was could get us out and we lived in this, uh, in Brisbane in, in a, quite a small flat, you know, I used to go to bed with, the, with my mum's transistor <laughs> under the pillow and my ear on it listening to the Beatles show or Tony MacArthur on 4BC in Brisbane or whatever. And, and again, that was the life. The radio was the lifeline to my dreams. No yeah. question about it. That was, yeah. that was my savior. That totally get it. Totally get that. That, that and, and, and rugby league, you know, it saved my life. <laughs> yeah, really. And, but, but, and so it was always going to be a choice. Even in school, you know, like you ask getting into music, you know, by the time I was in like, second last year of high school, you know, people would say, well, what are you going to do with your life? And I'd say, well, I'm going to, either going to be the best movie director in Australia or the best record producer in Australia. Oh, wow. That's what I used to that's what, not, but, you know, you So know, you wanted to a, make the music. You already knew that you wanted to oh, yeah. c- create that sound more oh, yeah, yeah, than yeah, yeah. actually well, I, play I, it. No, well, cool. I, I, I played guitar. I went to the Brisbane Conservatorium of Music and, well, I play, I'm not great at anything, you know, I don't play drums, but obviously, you know, I, I need to be able to get around and look at when you're doing arrangements and you've got mm. people, hang on, what, where can we go with this or, mm. you know, the harmonies, you know, which are pretty simple really. But um, And so you've got, you know, a lot of the time I'll have a keyboard there next to me and I'll just pick out notes or a guitar depending 
you know, while I'm working, stuff like that. So uh, did you ever hear the, um, sorry, Hayden, I'm going to talk a bit. Are you still with us, Hayden? You haven't fallen yeah. asleep, have you? Amazing. Um, <laughs> um, did you hear the um, Zoom chat we had and there was a gorgeous girl on there called Foxy? No, I didn't hear a Zoom chat. Okay. Yeah, well, she, she, but she, I've, I've heard you she refer to She has a similar story to yours and um, that was, she was in a children's home and she heard In Excess played, but she actually saw the music because she she's got synesthesia. So far. I knew that. I knew that. That's why I said it. And I, I have not read your book. It's synesthesia is, is to do with, it can be, it comes in various forms. My synesthesia comes in the form of colours and mm. numbers. So any, oh. any number, you can ask me uh, in 10 years' time what, uh, what colour is a certain number, 365, 8, whatever, and it'll be the same colour. Because oh. I've always seen numbers as in colour. As, and I thought everyone had it until I, I read the story when I was about 30, this thing called synesthesia. I go, shit. Doesn't doesn't everyone have that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I only I heard about it a couple of years ago because I have a girlfriend mm. who paints, and she was said, "What do you want me to paint?" I said, "Please play, um, do in excess for me." So she painted in excess, and it was wow. And, and Foxy saw it, and now you're saying it. It's um, what a gift! Yeah. What a gift! Well, it's it, it is a gift, but again, as I said, I was totally unaware. I just thought everyone thinks the same and had the same kind of thoughts and things like that. I really well, did. I've got to ask you then, what's what's the colour of number four? Number four is like it's it's interesting colour because it's it's a shade of blue. It's almost black. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. Thank you. It's all right. <laughs> but it's different to everybody. Everyone, it, there's different forms of synesthesia. You know, some, some people see music in colour as well. You know, whereas I sort of see music in colour, but it's mostly numbers that I see in colour. But I'm, you know, I, I do love numbers. I must admit. I find it it's similar to how the Aboriginals um, paint. You know, with the lines and the dots. Yes. A lot of people yep. see it that way, which is like the dream time, and yeah, it's all. Well, that's I, I, I've got two full blood Aboriginal cousins, and so you know, I grew up. They were adopted by my mother's brother. And um, so I got used to that culture uh, at a young age mm. and learned a lot about that. Great book called Songlines, if you've ever heard of it, if you no, really want to get well, into it. I'll have to get I not, just can't I'm remember the author's reader, name. I will read that. But it's, it's a, it's a, it really describes the Aboriginal culture really well and about how passing through different territories and, and they don't have roads, they have songlines. Oh. It is don't have tracks. It's called song lines, and it's all to do with music and and how they approach people and different tribes. And depending on what they do, oh, you can pass because they recognise that song that mm. they're singing. It's quite interesting because there's yeah. so many different languages. Yes, that that that. But there's there's certain bits of music are sort of they can all understand they can understand particularly yeah. when there's people new people passing through because they're nomadics mm. so they yeah. have to it's a really interesting concept it's a, it's a good book then i'll look i'll look that up mm. well speaking yeah. of books your book was named sophisto uh punk and i think prior to the episode i did give be maybe a slight explanation of what you that did. probably meant um mm. uh and, and what does it mean hayden 
I would probably look back to the artists that you recorded with, and I think probably maybe it was born out of your time with the Angels. I think potentially that's 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 pretty true. Yeah, that, that well, it is true. That's because I lucky enough to be apprenticed to Harry Vander and George Young after I was sacked by uh, EMI, <laughs> but that's another story. And uh, you just made an, and, an honest mistake that made other people money, didn't you? Uh, well, I made oh. an honest mistake, a totally yeah. honest mis- yeah. mistake. It wasn't even, yeah. I, it wasn't, wasn't, I didn't even make a mistake. No. It's, it's the other people who made the mistake. Probably, But yeah. the, um, anyway, um, I was with Vander and Young, and they had a band called The Angels, and they did the, uh, an album with them. That was sort of half rock, half country rock, you know, and it, it had had the track "I'm Ever Going to See Your Face Again," but a slower version than yeah. the one we hear today. Yeah, um, and which was a turntable hit. In other words, it was um, it was it was on the radio, but it just didn't sell. Well, it, I think so, in those days, I mean, album not album tracks per se, but there were those songs that I guess if you think back to the. The, the the iconic songs now they weren't actually well they might have been singles but a lot of them were just eight radio tracks that were you well, know no, well, listen, no this, one bought. this was released this yeah. was released as a single because I happened to be working at EMI at the time as okay yep running local artists and, and Capital Records but after I left um, EMI under dubious circumstances the um, as I said I and Vander and Young interviewed me for a couple of hours and said you know and then looks and don't don't answer us now but we'd like you to we're really busy and we need someone to be our assistant or help us out or apprentice or whatever whatever you want and and don't don't and george said i remember him saying the late great george young uh, saying to him don't don't tell me now but give us a call in 48 hours if 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 you if you want to come on board can you imagine (laughs) can you imagine I'm sitting by the phone for 48 hours with a watch going, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yes. and, and I turned up. Drake's on your behalf of that one, was there? <laughs> nah. And, and no, at all. And, and, mm. and the, the funny thing about that was before I get on to Sophisto Punk was while I was, I, I was, I'd been there for about six months and it has come up to Christmas and, and George caught me in the, between the studio and the office. He said, oh, Mark, you know, you know, as you know, we're closing down for Christmas. Uh, I'm doing a very bad George Young imitation. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, what's the situation? Are you going away for Christmas? And I said, no, George, I'm, I'm, I'm just staying home. He said, what, don't we pay you enough around here? And I said, well, you don't pay me anything. Yeah. He said, what? And he said, no, you don't pay me anything. <laughs> he said, well, why didn't you say something? I, I said, well, when I didn't get paid after a couple of weeks, I thought, it must be the fact that I'm working with you guys must be the pay. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was work experience. And it's true. Yeah. I feel, that, you know, because I was, you know, I was just so keen to beat these guys at the house hits, you know, like yeah. it was ridiculous. And I'd sold my 62 Les Paul, my 1935 Gibson Kalamazoo just to stay alive, you know. And these are rare guitars. Yeah. But to me, I, I just said, mm, they're just bits of wood with wire on. At the you time, I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I knew they were good guitars. Yeah, sixty-two mm-hmm. Les Paul is the only SG-shaped Les Paul I've ever made, and um, and uh, one off. Uh, but but I, I justified it to myself. You're working with Vander and Young. You're doing the stuff, uh, and it's just wooden wire. Come on, you know that's all, all all it is in the end. And so and then when I said that, then George. 
you've got to be kidding me. We've got Ted Albert, the great Ted Albert, one of my absolute heroes. I have two heroes, uh, Gidinski and Ted Albert. Um, Ted Albert came down to see me with his big red book and said, Mark, I believe we haven't been paying you. And I said, yes, that's right, uh, Ted. He says, well, here's $100 for what we haven't paid you for six months. Well, here's 100 bucks. Are you serious? And what we're going to do is give you $100 a week, but you must understand that this $100 a week is an advance against any royalties you earn for the company. So, in fact, I owed them money. <laughs> and, and, and Ted, lovely bloke, Ted, really was, really nice guy, cruel but fair, but a great guy, really was. Uh, and, uh, and I remember he came to see me, uh, you know, how many months later and says, oh, with his big red book, Mark, um, I think you owe us about $800. What are you <laughs> going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> and which leads me to Sophisto Punk and the Angels. And then, uh, and before this conversation with Ted, uh, George had approached me outside the studio and said, look, Angels, didn't work for us. Um, we're going to drop drop the band or you can take them on. You know, you pr- forget your, your training's over. You still work with us, yep. you know, on stuff, you know, John Paul Young, ACDC, whatever, but uh, Flash in the Pan, but it, you're taking them on. If, if other, I, or we'll drop them. So I just, yeah, of course I'll do it. And, I, and Friday night, I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> you know, like they can't, if Vander and Young can't make a hit out of it and they're giving them to me, are you serious? So I went to the late, great Wayne DeGrucci's house. He was a manager of John Paul Young. And I think I detail this in the book. And um, and I, I sat around his – we used to go to Wayne's house on a Friday night, me and a couple of the old, my old record company mates, and we'd sit around smoking joints, listening to music and stuff like that. And uh, and, and I was sitting in a, in a room, you know, just thinking about this, what am I going to do, you know, at Wayne's house – about the angels and, and he comes in he rolled his big joint he said have this man and he said oh by the way have a listen to this and he gave me a record and it was graham parker and the rumor do you remember them don't ask me questions i, I remember hey, Lord, don't ask me questions uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Gra- oh, right. Gra- you know. first their, their very first album yeah and this and this is that punk had just sort of finished and now this was new wave basically and I'm listening to it in my stained madness, you know, <laughs> and with this angel thing going around in my head. And I thought, gee, it's funny how music's evolved. You know, it, you know, it, we, we, you know, it's like you, you go back through history, and music always evolves, it goes from underground to, to, to you know, to, and then that gets commercialised, and that what was once underground now becomes commercial truth of everything you know it's it it, it 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 grows that way and i said it's almost if punk has become sophisticated and it hit me mm. sophisticated punk music yeah that's what i've got to do with the angels sophisticated punk i didn't had no idea what it would be i just knew i had that phrase in my mind and then with the angels i'd be in the studio with them every because we owned the studios at albert so we'd spent a lot of time in the studios with you know, with the angels, weekdays if they're in town touring, weekends if they're around, and just I'd, and they'd be playing new songs, playing new songs. And one day, John Brewster, 
spoke to me, said, I, I was driving my car in Adelaide the other day and I came up with this bit of music and and Doc wasn't there from the Angels. It was just, just Buzz, Chris and, and the two Brewster brothers. And, um, and, and funnily enough, we were in Studio 2 as opposed to Studio 1, which is the Vander and Young and me studio and, you know, where we do all the – we were in the commercial studio at Albert's. And I can remember it so well, you know, that, and they played this tune to me and it was just – and I knew it. I said, that's sophisticated punk. That's it. And it turned out to be a song called I Ain't the One. I Ain't the One to Judge. I don't know if you know that song. It's mm. pretty old by now. Mm. But that, and then I was jumping up and down, which is rare for me in the control room. God, he went back and I said, "That's it. This is the sound." And it was They'd like to do a book, and and I was thinking about titles. I thought, well, sophisticated punk is where it started for me. Mm-hmm. I'll call it sophisto punk because if I call it sophisto punk. It's better than sophisticated punk. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it sounds like an oxymoron, of, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And yeah. and 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 so ninety percent of it is that, and ten percent of it re- refers to me as a person. Yeah. Someone who's come up from humble beginnings to end up flying jets around the world first class within excess, you know, and mm. private planes and sophisticated punk is all I am, you know, and um, in, in the real sense of the word of punk, not punk music, but just a yeah. punk. So that's, yeah, that's so to, to make a short story long, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the type, that's sophisticated punk, sophisticated punk. When what? did it come out, the book? Uh, uh, 2011, 2012. Oh, okay. So a bit out, it's a bit I, out I, heard, I, I heard you on uh, ABC uh, at the time, just one of the review programs, and I, I, I think I sent my little text in about the worthiness of Welcome to Wherever You Are being underrated, and they mentioned it, and I was glad you got to hear that bit. But uh, It's been on um, What's Her Name show, um, uh, ABC Radio at night. Would have it was. Been, it was um, in the evening. I remember I was in my kitchen yeah. cooking, and it was you're on for about half an hour talking about the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just she's a great woman. How could I forget her name? Yeah, you mentioned that I do. That does flash into my head. Yeah, well, I mean, look, one of the things that for our listeners is that we we've been very fortunate. We have some people overseas in America and the UK and and Canada and and Netherlands listening. And look, some of them may not quite know just the impact that uh, George Young and Harry Vander had. So. Just to recap, George Young's the older brother of Angus uh, and and uh, Malcolm Young from ACDC, and essentially through you know maybe people know them of the Easy Beats and Friday in My Mind, but these guys had a plethora of hits uh, through the Easy Beats uh, songs. You know, that, you know, I think in excess fans relate them to Good Times. <laughs> you know, the song which uh, was a big part of your uh, recording life. How, how could it not be? You know, that it's almost it like the world the coming choice. around. <laughs> world coming around in an orbit isn't it so yeah when we were driving jimmy and i were driving up in the car with jimmy's manager mark pope said there's a van uh, well actually it's a right and young song called good times we should be doing that you guys yeah. should do that because i wanted to just do turn up your radio in excess wanted to do turn up your radio yeah ah. 
the, and the Mark Pope, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. Mark and Mark Pope, had, Glenn A. Baker sent me this list of songs. I yeah. asked him about, you know, and, and Glenn A. is obviously a big fan, a young fan as well. And as soon as Mark said "Good Times," I said, "Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's the one." Because George the was re- a bit of a fan of that version, wasn't he? Which was encouraging in a sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because when I was working with Vander and Young, I'd you know I'd I'd come in the studio. I'd tell, oh, what about you know? David Bowie's version of this or Rod yeah, Stewart's yeah. version of that. Yeah, it's fucking crap. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's shite. It's shite, you know. It's just shite. And mind you, they're quite happy to pick up the, the copyright royalties. Yeah. But um, they didn't say that. But but And so when I went into, you know, like I was in the middle of a Hoodoo Gurus album at the time when I took the weekend off to do Good Times and laid, Laying Down the Law. Yeah. I, I was doing a, a guitar overdub with, with – um, uh, and and all of a, with Dave Faulkner, and all of a sudden the door burst open. In comes a George, drunk George Young, which I'd never seen in all my in all the time of walking. Never seen him drunk, and he just pushes past Dave Faulkner and my engine and just shoves his hand out. It's a fucking great job, man. Fucking great, <laughs> fucking great job. And yeah. then turned on his heel and left. And that's like that's a, that's one of the biggest compliments, compliments. I've, I've ever had. Yeah, because I was scared shitless. Well, you're taking. But I digress. Their, you're taking one of their sort of children, which is a song, and you know, I guess giving it to someone else and trying to take a, yeah. a, a new take on it. A vocal for Michael uh, and Jimmy. The, the the comparisons of the, the Michael, the melt, yeah, the Michael Velvet vocal and Jimmy's, you know, growl complement each other nicely. They do, and it was. A, I got them to sing the whole lot, all the way through, and then I edited the, the bits so it, it was more like duet. One thing I mentioned to Dee before we started recording was um, I mentioned you did work on the miniseries and she said, oh, well, I didn't know that. And I said, yeah, I think my understanding was I think for the the production values of the miniseries were fantastic. I think the recreation mm. of Wembley and the close-up shots and the yeah. choreography was brilliant. But I also think what maybe people don't realise that I like to maybe share is just how good some of the demos of Need You Tonight and Never Tear Us Apart that you were able to I'm you know, glad you said it. that. There's two crucial things right there with those two songs were so important. Uh, and Dana Reed, the director, and I had each other's back on all of that. Yeah. And 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 uh, Nietzsche tonight in particular was a, a, well, they both were tough because yeah. the, the guy the guy playing Andrew wasn't a musician, didn't yes. play instrument at all, which he pulled off really well. Yeah. So we had to, I had to put together, I'd go through all the demos, everything, with uh, just me and my engineer Colin. And manufacture someone writing Nietzsche tonight. Had to manufacture mistakes, yes, things that wouldn't be in there that, that come out, yeah. And that that you know, while a taxi meter still running, very proud of that piece of music, yeah. Uh, that we did, very very proud of that. And that, for me, that's you know one of the two key pieces for me. And and, and as that was airing, you know, I mean, I'd seen it in the Dana Reed and I in the, in the cutting room when. Was all put together, obviously the editor, because I was conscious of how it how it would sit. But in but I remember sitting back at home and watching it in the context context of being on air, and we we're just on the phone going, "Yeah, fuck that work, that fucking work." And, and especially especially given you know it was Chris Thomas's production originally, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. You inherit those demos and things to put that. That's true. Us. That's true. But a lot of I remember with with um, um, New Sensation. Andrew played me the demo of that, 
and it was exactly the same as a record. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. But um, but but the other one you bring up, uh, Never Tear Us Apart. The script called for Andrew sitting at the piano playing, um, and so Never Tear Us Apart, or a, a version of it. And now at that stage, I was the keeper of the keys. I had total access to every bit of in excess recording ever. You know, like track, not the songs, but tracks, individual demos, you name it. Yeah. So I went through everything. And could I find Never Tear Us Apart with the piano? <laughs> no way. And Which was what, hard to suit the narrative of the mo- of the mini and and, and, yeah. and needed, you know, yeah. needed, had, to, had to be there. And I'm not one to give up. But no. what I found was an organ track and and that the Never Tear Us Apart played, you know, uh, Slide, slide with organ, and more importantly, it had a MIDI track. You know, you know what a MIDI track is? A musical. Uh, I've heard of it. It's, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a code that allows you to uh, you instead of recording the sound, you record the digital uh, metadata or the de- uh-huh. the, the digital signal. Yeah, and that way you can go into another studio and use another organ sample. And it'll play that organ, you yep. know, to sound like the original organ. Yes. So what I did is I said, okay, instead of well, let's use the MIDI track off the organ to trigger a piano sound. Yeah. And so we did. And and we thought, oh, this would be interesting what this sounds like. And, of course, we did that. It was all this really hot. It was like a high piano playing. Yeah. So obviously, well, that's easy. Just yeah. drop the whole signal an octave. Yeah. Bang. We've got the piano. Wow. So we're and just talking about the mini series B, you know, oh, with uh, right. what, what, because um, I was just saying earlier, like the production values of the visual were great, but geeks and nerds like me and some of the pure fans would, would see the demo stuff and go, well, this is why the show was really well put together because it wasn't just the aesthetics and the visual. You know, they got, you know, Mark in to have some of the demo stuff literally um, that formulated showing how, you know, yeah. uh, Andrew wrote uh, Need You Tonight and things and, um, it was just brilliant work by Mark to get that together, you know. Mm. Well, like the best- I've only watched it once, and that was when it was actually on the TV, and I was watching it on a really bad TV, so I but need to watch it again. Yeah, but the thing is, what I was happiest about was where I put the mistakes, and oh, that's not right, writing too much here, and and sit, and, and letting the song build itself in a way, you know, mm. to get to that. But with Never Tear Us Apart, the finding the organ MIDI track, then converting it to a piano, then dropping it down an octave or two so it sounded like someone just tooling around with something like Never Tear Us Apart and then finding the vocal that, that fit, to fit it was, was important. A couple of questions. What song or arrangement are you sort of most proud of? Maybe it doesn't have to be in excess. It could be something within all the bands or artists you've worked with that you maybe put your imprimatur on, you go, well, I was intrinsic to getting that sound. I was stubborn, and you know, you know, X amount of time later, I'm glad I did, and the band's glad I did. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking well, what's in, my in, scene in, in my head, but it might well, be something else. <laughs> well, no, there's a lot. There's millions of songs that come come into my mind about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, within excess, uh, you were talking about recently the Glide version of Heaven Sent. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. And well, that's how Andrew presented it to me. That was a waltz. Yes. And I said, we don't need a waltz, we need a rock song. Yeah. And so basically I spent a day turning it into a rock song. Yeah. And and to the point where 
it started off with this no, and then with, let's go this way four four. Let's just let's yeah. go hammer and tong. Yeah, and and I'm going to distort the vocals. Oh, that's too much distortion. You know, <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. And, and but even in the, when the final mix of Heaven Sent, they made me turn that Michael's distortion down a bit. I said, "You kidding? It sounded great, but more distortion." Yeah, yeah. that's what and I was after. Going at that time, dirtying up the sort of the yeah, I, I was really but like, getting really distorted. Yeah, and uh, but anyway, and so yeah, so that that's a, a good example. You know, Shining Star, different stuff like that happened. With that wasn't so much me making a difference, but I don't know if you know Keith Urban sings backing vocals. He does. Yeah, and, yeah. and um, so little touches like that, you know, like starting it off, everyone's eat off their heads after Wembley in London studio at, um, what's that studio at Chiswick? can't remember. Metropolis. It's an old power station in. And um, but we, we ended up there just off our tits, you know. And not <laughs> me so much because I didn't stay up as partying as long as everyone else. But, um, but uh, yeah, just, and then, but yeah, then continuing on in, in Sydney, putting it together, and so both Mick and Keith were at that uh, in the dressing rooms before the show. Is that right? Um, or yeah, was it Keith? I, it's Keith, I think. Um, mm. I just can't remember. There were so many. The, the, the dressing room is massive. Yeah, massive, and there was there, there would have been 100, 200 people in there. So it's like a party. Keith writes a good liner note, and I think on the Bitter Tears single, the Maxi single, where he. He, he, he comments about how in excess of tight, they're a band. They've got that sort of bluesy sort of backbone, which Mick loves. Uh, sorry, Keith loves. Um, it was exciting to think that they had, you know, that zenith there that day where everybody was was there because England was such a fickle market for them. It was the last place to... Well, it, it, it was, and it was exactly right. And it was the well, welcome went number one. And, you yeah. know, U Magazine, album of the year, you know. Yeah. So, like, it, yeah. it's... Um, if only the rest of the world would follow suit. But the... Um, but well, I mean, it wasn't a total disaster in America. Maybe only sold a million and a half, but I mean, not enough time. I was glad that it was released as the first single there, and it went sort of twenty-seven, I think. And "Beautiful Girl" sort of went, I think, forty-six and things. And um, you know, the 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 uh, the non-touring sort of the less the less marketing, doing the clubs and clubs and pubs and uni. I mean, I saw them at the unis in Australia at that time mm. when they did the uni tours around then. Um, mm. Unfortunately, they were never a band that could rely on their last album or two to sort of create a sort of a, an ongoing loyalty. They always seemingly had to play live. They were seemingly had to record. The same year, REM chose not to release, uh, sorry, chose not to tour for uh, Automatic for the People. People, yeah. You know, they chose not to tour, yet that album blew up. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's ever got an easy ride, you know. Well, the thing is, it had to be performed. Yeah, that's the thing. It really did because it was so different than a kick and what everyone, where everyone had left off, and then to pick up with that without seeing it in perspective live with the other hit songs mixed in with it. With it, with it. We, we hope we can get you on to talk about that album in depth because oh, absolutely, yeah, you know, like because beautiful girl. Th- there's a there's like there's a to me there's a sort of a real musicality to that album. Mm. That I think X was a bit polite. Um, uh, X to me, uh, I didn't like X at all. I know that I think one of you likes X. Is one, is one well, I like X, but I, I think it hasn't aged as well as others. But and we're well, to me, to me, when week. I first heard X, the first thing I've heard of X was Suicide Blonde. Loved it. Mm. Loved it. Just how good is this? Particularly the sampled harmonica that everyone thinks Andrew's actually playing when it's yeah, a sample. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's playing, but it's on a keyboard. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> no, one, no one can play that. No one. But to me, it, and, and yeah, to stairs and by my side, 
but it was too much a, of a sister to kick. You know, well, a young. It was played. It was played a bit safe. I always felt that that what's a, a bit, bit sad about their legacy is that sometimes maybe their greatest sort of. Um, you know, I remember Michael. I think I said this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. He sort of taught me about how to listen to music. He's, I remember in 88, 89, around the peak of kick and things, he said, oh, I still think to this day Shabu Shabar is our best artistic um, accomplishment. Mm. And I remember sort of at the time as a 16, 17-year-old, what does he mean by artistic comp- you know, you know, accomplishment? Mm. And I, it stayed with me a bit. And then I realised later on what he was basically saying was, all right, you can have commercial success, but the actual art- art- artesian behind the album creation. Well, well that's exactly yeah. right, Hayden. Yeah. For me, I, I really want the records I make to stand the test of time. There's no accident that Shabu Shabar and Welcome are, are similar in a lot of ways. Mm. They're very similar. You know, it's just technology and the band's experiences and my experience has grown mm-hmm. exponentially since that point. Mm-hmm. Did you see, like, I know when you recorded with Cole Chisel, with Don and, 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 and Jimmy in the early days and then you went back and did some stuff later and probably that 10-year gap between... Shabu and Welcome, did did you find us producer, you know, you saw Andrew elevate himself, you saw probably Don Walker elevate himself to a but, point of control. Did that influence well, how no, you managed? Well, well, no, Don was always in control. And as I was alluding to before when I was speaking to the characters of the band, you know, Tim, you know, Tim and Kirk, when you're 18, you got a girlfriend, you got a car, everyone's still out in high school, John is younger. And uh, just by pure age dynamics, forget music dynamics, all of a sudden, Michael becomes a star. Andrew's doing a lot of the writing. Okay, the democracy's changed just a little bit here. You know, the the, the or, president. Or they're able to say their piece a little bit more because they've exactly got a little right. bit more within the band. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone was the same age. Mm. There, weren't, there weren't the two big brothers in there. Yeah. You know, the two old guys. You know, uh, the, it, now so yeah, that dynamic changed a lot. You know, and as opposed with Don Walker, that's different. He's always been running that band. Yeah. He's always on that band. Now, I'll just digress for a moment. With regard to Noiseworks' debut album, I've been a sort of a Noiseworks uh, bona fide for a long time. I always thought, mm-hmm. um, you know, Stuart Fraser was a great guitarist, rest in peace. Um, Justin, Justin Stanley's gone on to have a great producing career in America. Yeah. Um, you know, John, I think, has just, you know, when, when unfortunately Michael passed, I always thought John was a great fit because... He respected the band uh, so much. He, he he's such probably one of the great vocalists I think we've had in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that debut album B was probably not so much sort of an album you would have grown up with. But talk about you know six, seven, eight loaded hits on a debut album that you know, and then went into I think the next album you I might not have produced that. It might have been one of the UK uh, guys. Very interesting story with that. Yeah. You know, Michael Browning reappears. Yes. The picture with yeah. noise bricks. Swings and roundabouts, huh? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and um, this time without songs, cricket bat, I said, oh, you have listened to this track. And, he, and uh, I thought, yes, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. A demo of No Lies. Yeah. Different arrangement. Yeah. And said, yeah, can you come down and see these guys at Damien Gerard? You know, and I knew Stewie Fraser because from the old Albert days, he and his brother Warwick were always hanging around. Or, yeah using them on demos or bits and pieces. Yeah. And so Stewie and I are good friends. John, I'd never met before. Justin, I hadn't met. And and Vern, I mean, um, Steve, Steve Belby, yeah, yeah. who's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, we all had names, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Vern, his was his, yeah. Vern Wellell. Yeah. Uh, um, Rangy, obviously. For, for <laughs> Rangy or whatever, isn't it? 
Rangi. Rangi. Um, I'm just trying to think of And we had cards print. <laughs> Everything. Because the reason for that was that my thing is to keep a, get a bomb going in the studio. Yeah, yeah. So we invented this indoor cricket game, which we were fierce competitors at. <laughs> and then when we went playing cricket, we'd go off and record a song. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and the other thing we used to do is to, we'd, we'd practice how quickly we could drink a bottle of vodka between us. 17 seconds I've got a memory of. Exactly right. Do you yeah. know all this, Hayden? I do oh, you know. I'm a, I'm a geek, okay? You're pretty well off. You're more exactly than a geek. Exactly right. 17 <laughs> seconds. And, and, <laughs> and we used to have the, Was this in Melbourne? In Platinum Studios in Melbourne. Yeah. We had a bar fridge in the studio just stacked with bottles of vodka. Yeah. And we'd be playing cricket down the hallways. Did it with the models too as yeah. well, the cricket thing. But we actually had cards printed. My name is Stanislaus Botrakopoulos. <laughs> <laughs> Don't and, ever uh, ask me to say that, will you? No, that's great. <laughs> but we, and obviously, Vern Wellell, um, uh, uh, Chet Farquhar was uh, Fraser. <laughs> yeah, because um, he was a Chet Atkins fan, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. Chet. Chet, Farquhar. okay, Farquhar. Just okay. To, yeah, we just made the names up. What was it? Who was Kev? I think Kevin was the drummer. Was it? Uh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin was Nichols? the drummer. Yeah. I can't remember Kev, what, what his yeah. name was. But I do remember the, the, the little cards we had printed. I probably got them around somewhere. But that was really interesting, you know, because I, I turned up to the rehearsals and I and I heard no lies and said, "This is a good song. This it's is a hit. great song. It still sounds yeah. great." But the thing was, and I said, "Okay, play me what you got." You know, so they played me a couple of songs, and then they played No Lies, expecting me to be really impressed, you know. And I, I was already impressed with that saying. It's a bit like me when I go, <laughs> but not in front of the band. And tell them you're happy, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and then they. Okay, what else? Uh, we'll get the song now. Oh, yeah, let me hear. Yeah, it's not bad. What else? <laughs> and they've gone, they just it? looked at me like okay. this and gone. They looked at each other. Fuck. Yeah, okay, shit. Oh, okay. Here's this it's like song. playing the poker face, hey? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and doing that. And then with No Lies, once I got in the studio, I did a bit of rearranging on that with the chorus, you know, the way the, the intro I changed for the bridge and the bridge for the intro. I did exactly the same thing on the with a band called Venetians on a song called So Much For Love. I don't know if you Yeah, yeah. So Much For Love. Yeah, yeah that's a great song. Yeah, did yeah. that too where I started started it with the bridge instead of the normal start. And yeah. Try and get a hook in early, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and just, but the same with No Lies, same sort of uh, style of arrangement where I took another part of the song, put it but, in the front. But, but that was an album where, B, you know, that, that song came out, I think it went top ten, and then they'd take me back, which was a hit and then they had Love Somebody and Burning Feeling and River of Tears and, you know, uh, it was just hit after hit. Welcome to the World. It was like six singles off a debut album, which was pretty uncanny. Uh, I think mm. and Baby, then I Baby Animals. 
Then I got sacked for the second album. <laughs> like, was it Chris Kimsey or someone like that? Maybe you. Yeah, well, well, again, Michael Browning. You know, like I was, I and Peter Carpenter from Sony had me and said, "Yeah, obviously we have got to do the next album together." And I'd given the, the band a big rap. I remember I got a, a, an aria or something that year, yeah. and, and I and I got up and I said, "Well, I'm really surprised there's no nominations for Noiseworks and yeah. these awards." In part of my little speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, the Sony table went, yeah, like that. Yeah. Like a bunch of hits off that. Take Me Back was another interesting one where I just really overdid the drum sound. But I There's a bit of reverb you twisted around with that, wasn't there? What I call it, it's a non linear yeah. reverb, which is a particular type of reverb. It does not want to go, it puts every frequency at the same level. Echo, reverb. It takes every frequency that it's, and just gives it the same. Loudness, level, mm. same level. So, so what that enabled me to do with drums, I've been using that since Shabush Bar, but it, it made me able to lengthen the the snare beat to sound a bit longer and just tap. Made, yeah, made go, you know, the English were doing it a different way with gate reverb, but I was doing it. Are you still good friends with John? John, which one? Stevens. Stevens. Oh yeah, of course. I don't see him every day. But we're hopefully having him on in a, in a no, no, week. No, no, every time every time I speak, catch up. You know, like I remember bumping him, him. You know, a bit of name dropping. Eloise Pratt and Dave Stewart from New Rhythmics. Oh yeah. You know, Dave and I had got on, and, and mm-hmm. Eloise mm-hmm. got on and stuff. But and then another time being at a gig, talking about in excess. Um, I was at a gig uh, in at the old Sydney Concert Centre or whatever it was. Got torn down outside having a cigarette with a publishing girl from Mushroom and um, John Stevens walks out with Rebecca Gibney, you know, the actress, and she says, oh, Mark. I said, John. So they're having a chat. He said, oh, by the way, you know, do you reckon in, in excess looking for another singer or anything like that, do you think? You know, <laughs> you, got a, you got a phone number for Kirk or yeah. what? I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I didn't recommend him. I just gave him a phone number. Yeah. And, but by the same token, I remember being in a meeting with the whole band talking about, you know, recording albums and things. And, uh, you know, John was there and the rest of the band. And I, and I said, I said next to John, I said, I don't think John should be the singer on the album. I think John should do one song on it on, or two songs on the album. But I think that no one can ever replace Michael Hutchins. So I think to have John doing a, a song or two is a great idea. But well, I think we should go out and find undiscovered great singers that haven't had the chance and use, you know, this girl, that guy, that yeah. girl. I agree. That. I agree. And, and, Talking and, Heads did that for when David Byrne left. They, I think Michael sung on one of their albums. Okay. They got, I'm not aware was, of that. I think it was a true, one of their last albums. They, it was, I think it was called No Talking, Just Head. I think that was the, the album name. But Michael Michael sung one song on that album. They got a bunch of different vocalists. Yeah. Because it, I think Michael was too much of a, you know, a, a unique front man to try and replace. And they always would yeah. suffer from comparison, you know. That's yeah. right. You know, like, remember I, I also did Terence Trent Derby as well when he came out. I did that show as yep. well and worked with Terence. And so I, I worked with them all. All the, all the guys that came in, you know, when Michael died, I was working. I was management. It wasn't Chris at this time. It was Dave Edwards was now managing the band. Got in touch with me. He said, "Look, with Michael's death, we just want to. Um, we know you're working full time for Mushroom, but do you reckon you could find time to come up to the studio in Sydney for a month and we just go through everything." 
everything that's been unrecorded and just see what we've got. So I went and saw Mr. Gadinsky Michael, who's a very good friend of mine, and he's a great mate. As I said, he and Ted Albert, my heroes. And he said, sure, you know, go to Sydney and, and, and work with them. And, and at this stage, I was planning it, Michael and I and Michael Chug and uh, one other person with the producer were planning the Mushroom 25th anniversary. And I was working up there with um, going through all the NSS stuff and doing all this sort of stuff. And then Michael was, was still on at me about we've got to find a finish. And I said, well, NXS, we can use NXS. You know, I mean, Michael's dead, but, I, you know, without saying too much, and, and I'm not trying to sound callous, but Michael, you got to remember, Good Times came out on Mushroom, didn't come out on Warner Brothers. Mm. So we can legitimately ask, if Michael was alive, we can legitimately have them as our finishing act. Because that was one song, good time, and so that was the big call. Yeah, yeah. And then to uh, then it was up to how I worked out to do it in the right way, not the wrong way, of getting them to say yes to it because it's a very sensitive issue. Yeah. Well, it was it was the, literally their first appearance virtually in public about it was, three it months was later. The first and and. and so I rang up Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, you know, I'm in. I'm up at EMI Studios working on all the, going through all the NXS stuff. Can you come up? Come and hang out. And I'll tell the band you're just coming to hang out. Take my lead, but we'll get to the point where we're talking about the Mushroom 25th. Yeah. You know, and buy the beer. Ah, oh, Jimmy, great. Haven't you know, yeah. And chat, chat, chat. Good times. Wasn't that fucking great? You know, and and not only that, but lots of other stuff where they've had times together. You know, cultures all in excess. But, but more importantly, then getting on to that point, then the hard part was keeping it secret. You know, once I agreed to do it, then it was to keep it secret. Well, it was never, it was sort of the rumour was bubbling around and I didn't buy a ticket, but it was only sort of the, on the afternoon of it was announced they would play. And I, I went down to the MCG and I ran down the thing and I couldn't get in. There was no tickets left. But they uh, rang me up. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> no mobile phones in those days. No, no, no. Yes, it was. But no, I was, I was um, musical director of that show. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, I had big plans for that show. Like, yeah, put Renee Gay on the roof and we'll get, you know, throw your arms around me. Mark Seymour can sing on that roof over there. Yeah, but <laughs> stuff didn't happen. You know, Diesel, but, Diesel, I think, sung the Michael part, didn't he, for Good Times, I think? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Jimmy's obviously sung his part. And then I got everyone on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was doing it. I got yeah. Kylie was on stage. You know, Kate yeah. Soprano was on stage. Everyone was doing it. Which was that. like like Australian made. You know, fifteen years later. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Well, again, I did Australian made. So duh. He was <laughs> yeah. It's similar. You know, not like, that you need I, a reminding. <laughs> I, I, I I reuse ideas a lot. You know. Yeah. It's it, like it's no accident that uh, Chrissy Amplin and Divinals wore a school uniform. So why and did why did Chrissy wear a school uniform? Because Angus wore a school uniform. 
Oh, right. So she was just, that yeah. was it. Okay. You know, she, she had charisma, didn't she? Uh, yeah, Chrissy, I've known yeah. Chrissy for a long time. And, you know, that when they, they were originally a band called Lip Service and, uh, and Mark McEntee, um, I remember getting a, a Jerry Sword, a publisher played me this track, Boys in Town, when I was head of A&R at um, Warner Brothers. And I, I liked the song, but it was the outro. I like that's killer. Oh, yeah. yeah. I loved the song. Um, so I said, get the band in. So I got the band. Jeremy Paul from Air Supply was the bass player. Chrissy, Mark, and this drummer guy came in. And I said, love it. This is great. Um, tell me about the... Um, I love that track, and I particularly loved the, the the drumming on this. is song's killer, but the drumming gives it energy. Oh, this is our new drummer here. I said, oh, really? But who's playing drums on the first night here? Oh, that's a guy called Richard Harvey. I said, oh, really? Or words to that effect. Mm. And then um, <clears throat> and then I pulled Mark, uh. and Chris, Mark, I pulled Mark and Chris, or actually Jeremy aside. Not Mark, Chris, because Jeremy, it was Jeremy's band, Jeremy Paul. I said, I'm, I will sign that band today. I will sign your band this very afternoon, but only if you get me that, get rid of the drummer you've got and get the other drummer back. Because that's the thing. I love the song, but the thing, the energy, yeah. is what, it's what it's, brings it all together. And I'm sure this guy, you played with Slim Dusty, fantastic. I don't care. Your new drummer, I'm sure he's good, but I don't want him, I want the other guy. It's an urgent song, isn't it? It has such an urgent tension. And that's again, that's what I used to do with the angels. So I'd have, you know, a lot of times I have five words that I, I, I have in my head. It's, it's so when I'm making a decision on something, it's got to satisfy this word in my head. And like with the angels, it was always tension. Does this create tension? That creates tension. Rose tattoo, relentless and intensity. Yeah. This is the answer relentless and intensity, any, any decision I make. And it's the same as you just mentioned there with, with that divine thing. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd always jump back to to make sure I was making going the right direction. Cool. It took a long time to get boys in town. It took a long time. Yeah. It, look, it, it's, uh, it's probably their most regarded song, you know, in terms of just everything over time. I mean, they have yeah, and, bigger uh, hits, but they, that's their own pure song. Well, you know? Don't change in excess. Yep. Boys and sound divines. Yeah, they're both similar to me. Those. Things. Well, they they do have that sort of intro and outro attached to them and things like that. They have an um, energy. They both have an yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they translate live. Things. Translate live beautifully. You know. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that, that's the big sin, of course, is and we all kicked ourselves. Was the only time probably ever in their career post nineteen eighty two in excess didn't close with don't change. Was yeah. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a geek here and diffuse that. I've seen them play plenty of times and not play "Don't Change." Okay, okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Traditionally speaking, yeah. Traditionally yes. speaking, yeah. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Traditionally yeah. speaking, yeah. They they always finish with "Don't Change," and for some reason, and we all kicked ourselves 
because it, but I don't know. think they lose much with New Sensation last. I think Michael's de- uh, sorry, Devil Inside last. Devil. You know? Yeah, oh, no, that's I think. Brilliant. Yeah, oh. I've never seen them play it better. They, you know, took a, a three and a half minute song and played it to six minutes. You know, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But can yeah. you imagine how good "Don't Change" would have been as well? This is the level of their greatness: is that they had so many hits mm. that pertain to different parts of the world. So you have, they've had a, a you know a career of twenty hits in Australia that didn't you know make it overseas, That's right. you know? and they've had twenty hits but, in America that were different, and they've had probably 10, 15 in the UK that were different. Well, I would have pulled out Who Rings the Bell and put Don't Change in, okay? Uh, who Rings the Bell? Uh, what's, what, what, uh, not Who Rings the Bell. What's, what's that song? Um, the, the, oh, Who the Pays room? the Price? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, it's only memorable for Andrew's theatrics on stage. Yeah, no, I mean, there was, <laughs> there, there was like two or three, if there was a, a criticism of Wembley, it was just there's probably one or two, key, uh, sorry, ex-fillers that probably could have been. That's um, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I would have put "Don't Change" in for any one of those fillers. Just yeah. anyway, it doesn't matter. History is history. It's past. Yeah. It's past. Anyway, but, it's still fantastic. You know, it's, it's but but anyway, back to the, the vinyls. You know, the boys in town. That was uh, I loved. Just that was. It took a long time to get the take right, which is exactly the same thing happened with "Don't Change." It took ages to get the the take that had the magic. But we finally got it. And we don't change, obviously. With Michael, I always had it in my head when we were doing the vocal. I, I bought in Michael um, Blondie singing Union City Blue. Mm. You know, Union City Blue. Oh, yeah. I said, Michael, this is how you sing. Notice what Deborah Harry does here. There's a frantic beat, but she floats right across the top. Mm. You know, if you notice with Union City Blue, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's a long melody over a frantic beat. And I said, and now it, this is the approach that I think you should take. Um, with don't change, so just glide over the whole thing, you know, and let the power of the song you you just majestic above the power let the song become majestic and by you just being above the song don't, don't sort of get in the way in all yeah, this, and, let, and let the, the song it. It, 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 it's like uh, to use a bad pun let the song be the wind beneath your wings mm. <laughs> you know uh, i'm sorry to use that but the best way i could explain it yeah look a couple of I, days ago mark someone said something about or bit midler posted something about american politics and you know the crimes of trump and i said well look the person who basically put out from a distance, that's a crime against uh, humanity. So, uh. Isn't that funny, Hayden? <laughs> you should say that. Because for me, from a distance is a brilliant song. <laughs> I know you're saying, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But Bette Midler, I, I first saw Bette Midler in the 70s when she came out and did 21 shows at the State Theatre in Sydney mm. or whatever, some ridiculous amount of shows. And, it's, you know, on her first album, Delta Dawn, all that sort of stuff. So I knew this chick was wacky. You know, she'd come out in an electric wheelchair with a mermaid suit on and have the harlot singing behind her, which would strip off all their clothes and be in their underwear. And this woman had this most amazing voice. Mm. And so I've been a Bette Midler fan from the old New York bathhouse <laughs> days. <laughs> and so for me, when she did Wind Beneath My Wings uh, for... Um, Beaches, for, yeah. 
beaches. Great yeah. movie. Yeah. It's a movie, for God's sake. Get Look, involved. I took my mum to see that on Mother's Day in 89, so there you go. Exactly. <laughs> it's a movie. Get involved. Have a little time. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be rebel against it. No. And, and it's the same, you know, from a distance. Never a true word was spoken when you listen to all those words. Never a true word was spoken. And if, if, if that was Joe Strummer singing that, those exact lyrics, you'd be going, what a great song. <laughs> Look, I've got one more week of therapy and then I'm over that particular uh, musical, <laughs> musical sort of uh, impingement on my ears. But anyway, we'll move along. <laughs> um, let me throw just a couple of things for some of our listeners out there. People won't realise just how big Mark was in his day that he decided to knock I'm back. Still working. I'm still working. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the future. But uh, you knock back in your day Guns and Roses, okay, and there's yeah. an anecdote about that <laughs> maybe your safety <laughs> well that was that was very interesting you know i was aware of um i, I got a uh, teresa onsen on who worked for john colodna who's an a r at geffen records rang me up said i've got this new band and you might know la guns and 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 hollywood rose i said yeah 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 she said well they've broken up and they formed a new la guns and and now not la guns and hollywood rose aren't Hollywood Rose because they've got a couple of members from each band or whatever their dynamic was and they're calling Guns and Roses. They've been listening to your stuff that you did uh, with the Angels. They've been listening to stuff you did with the Rose Tattoo and they and they love what you did with Power Age, you know, um, with ACDC. Mm. And, mm. and and I did a bit of Let There Be Rock. Just to, we want you to produce. And that sounds good to me. But my, and then I'm thinking, great, send me some stuff. And, they, and I've still got the demos here. Uh, I didn't give that to the National Film and Sound Archive. I, I, I could sell that on eBay. Yes. <laughs> um, the, um, anyway. You might make more than you made on Good Times. Well, yeah. I, I made a lot of money on Good I Times, know. one of the few songs. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, and that was by mistake as well. <laughs> but the um, Theresa and Culloden sent me all this press, you know, uh, band burns down manager's house. <laughs> and, and then underneath it, See, these guys are the real thing. These are these they're, they're bad. <laughs> bad motherfuckers. <laughs> a band I've never heard of, you know, just formed from two mid-range LA bands that I'd heard of. And they're burning and this is the next big thing. I don't you know, they sound fucking scary to me. Then they send me some more stuff. Oh, by the way, they just burnt Larrabee North studio down. You know, <laughs> to set fire to that. And I'm going, no. And, 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 and exactly. And I, and I was due to do, it was either Hoodoo Gurus, Blow Your Cool, or Noiseworks. I can't remember which. I, I had that already on the books to do. And so I'd, I'd sort of sort of bailed on, on, on the Guns N' Roses. So I, I was offered the album Appetite for Destruction. And I'm the, I'm the person who knocked it back. So it's, um, but, and, but the, the reason I knocked it back was is more out of intimidation than anything else. Yeah, yeah. wanted to keep I, your studio. Well, it wasn't even that. It was just I thought these guys are nuts, and you know I'm not. You know how can I have any control or do what I do? I did console myself in the fact that they went through twelve producers before they got to Mike Clink, and that was pretty much the only record Mike Clink ever did. He didn't even do their second album. So it's um, and Thompson Barbiero mixed it, mixed Appetite for Destruction. So so, so they went through a lot of different people to get to where they got to. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got a 
late Peter Dawkins. Did you have much to do with him in your time? I knew Peter. I knew Peter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he produced a song off Australian Crawl's album off Sirocco called Unpublished Critics that if you actually play it and compare it to Sweet Child of Mine, it is the same. I've uh, heard this argument a lot. I've heard this argument a lot. Yeah. And I just, the only thing that, that gets me about it, how the hell would they ever hear that? No, I know. I think there was something where it may have come from, uh, there was a link I remember reading about. There's, often they say there's so many notes and so many melodies and only so many combinations of, but uh, you did some stuff with Aussie Crawl. I wasn't sure if that was one of yours, but I just double-checked and it was one of Peter Dawkins' albums. The same label, mm. Geffen and Australian Crawl and Guns N' Roses, but I just can't see them. Maybe they did listen, listen there, to my There stuff. might have been a link with the, because, I mean, I think back in those days, as you know, the American labels had to put out the no, album in America, didn't they? There was a sort of like a contract where they had to no, put no, the Aussie they, album out. The, yeah, they're sort of, which is a bad way of doing things. Yeah. Um, but the only thing, I don't know, on the American, because I did do the Australian, on Geffen, I don't know if you've got a copy of that Australian Coil album with all the stuff that I did with, where I've redone, as I said before, all those tracks. Yeah. I can't remember if Unpublished Critics was one of those tracks. Right. Yeah. But... I would have thought that Guns N' Roses wanted me to do their album. They would listen to a lot of stuff that I'd done, no matter what it was. Yeah. So, I, but I can't remember doing a version of Unpublished Critics or not Forgetting and Forgetting. So there's, but there is that link. listen to what? I mean, you've seen artists sued for things. And I mean, you look at Led Zeppelin with the band Spirit who, you know, I mean, Led Zeppelin have probably taken a, a few liberties over their time from some of the blues guys, um, oh, you know. <laughs> um, and back in those days, I mean, even even Elvis would bribe people to get a songwriting credit, you know, the Colonel would, you know, um, a lot of the stuff like Don't Be Cruel and, you mm. know, got an Elvis co-credit on it because it would obviously help the original songwriter. Um, 
well, more importantly, help the publishing, you know. And the publishing, because having Elvis's name on it, you know. Um, no, well, Elvis gets sliced the publishing. Correct, correct. It's twofold, twofold, but that, that, the original. That was, income. Yeah, that's mm. right. Um, I mean, that's my big mistake. I never got a publishing royalty. I always just got the producer royalty. Yeah. And, if and I had the publishing royalty, I wouldn't be here speaking to you right now. Well, well, look, you know, if, if, uh, humbly you are, and uh, you're giving yourself to us Philistines on this call, so we appreciate that. Um, all that aside, uh, all that aside, <laughs> all that aside, we can say that you did happen to uh, outvote Michael Hutchins very importantly on not giving a, a certain song up to charity, uh, which I think, that's thankfully, right. you uh, you know made that decision. Is that right? Well, no, that's very true. With um, with, with good times, it was a, a case of. Um, um, you know, everyone was in the control room, you know, before we were doing it, but, you know, on the way there. But, uh, by the way, uh, Jim Keyes from Master's Apprentice was already there thinking we were going to do his song and I would have to be the one saying, well, we're not oh. doing the song, yeah. so you better go home. Um, but everyone was buoyed up and you know, listened to good times, you know, when we played the Vandering Young, uh, the Wright and Young version, not Vandering Young, yeah. Stevie Wright co-wrote that. Yeah. And, and the Easy Beats version and then... We got in, in excess across the line with it. Tim Farris wasn't there, but everyone else was there. Peter Kakel, uh, RIP, who was playing piano, did a great yeah. job. Yeah. Um, but everyone was, yeah, this is great, this is great. And I think Michael said, yeah, let's give all the money to this, do we make from this to charity? And I stood up and said, excuse me, guys, <laughs> this is how I make my living. I'm, I don't go on stage and get paid a fortune to go and do a tour. I don't get <laughs> publishing. I don't get I, I, all I get is recording royalty. So yeah. I will demand that I get my normal fee and pay. This is not a charity record. This yeah. is made a tour. It's only become a charity record this very this second. If it was a charity record from the beginning, fair enough. Yes, and it's just brought up right then. And I am not going to be part of it. You will pay me. And look, it charted high in Australia as part of the tour, but I think it was probably the Lost Boys soundtrack that helped you, wasn't it? Thanks to Glenn A. Baker. One Sunday at Home and Barrel, I was reading his column uh, in, in the Sunday papers and um, mentioned that how the Lost Boys soundtrack had sold two million copies. And wasn't it great that In Excess had two songs on it? And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> Good times and laying down the laying down the laws. My bloody lyrics. I never never never, oh. never never put the name on it because I stole it. You know, I did I, David Bowie because again Andrew and laying down the law. Yeah, had a piece of music, and and Michael said, "Well, I haven't got the lyrics ready to go for this." And I said, "Don't worry, I'll take care of it." I went out to the rhinoceros into the room where all the magazines are and just. Got every Time magazine I could find, <laughs> and and just and every journalist spent hours and editors spent hours writing the opening line, yeah, for for, for a story. Yes, one of the stories was they're laying down the law in Queensland. Perfect, they're laying down the law. <laughs> I love that. And I, I just kept going through Time magazines until I found certain lines. That line, yep, it's good, yep, but. You know, journalists had spent hours and days getting these right, and just, just nicking them. Nicking them. <laughs> you, you were like a you were like a Google publisher ripping everyone off before you realised. Yeah, well, no, Ted Bowie did the same thing. Did he? And um, that's what? where I got the All idea the from. Oh, no, no, there was a particular song going right. back, and I remember reading about it, and that's where yes. I got the idea from. 
Okay. And so, and then I've just turned, come back into to Jimmy and Mike, and I said, "Well, here are all, look at all these different lines. I've written them all down. Go away and put them in any order you want." So, from the business side, back in that day, you're reading the article, you see that it sold a couple of million. Then you've had to go back in and fight for your royalties. Is that how it played Absolutely. out? No, I, exactly right. And yeah. it's, it's, I, I, look, I'm a one man band. It's I am the most underpaid. Uh, I, I, I'm very fortunate. That, that with the success I've had, I'm very fortunate. I've only ever had one real job since I started producing records, and that's producing music or being doing that sort of pro, you know creative director of music. Yeah, different answer question. But yeah. I'm a one man band. I don't have banks of lawyers. I don't no. have banks of accountants. So it's me against the machine when it comes up about. And you will not believe how hard it is for me to just get royalties as it is. I bet it is but- so hard. And you know, how like, many hours you have to put into it as well? Well, I, I had to. I've written off all my divinals. It's every one of them. Every one of them. I've only got paid, you know, for boys in town, and uh, it, that's about it. And that was just through pure luck through Screen Australia when they use it in in Monkey Grip. Mm. You know. So, so does a song and the sort of the publishing element to it, because albums change and record labels mm-hmm. take over things, there's this sort of can of worms where it just goes all spiraling. You're trying to sort find of, your but, way? But, like, but, no, but contracts is, you should be uh, uh, honoured no matter what because the contract is about the song. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, now my version of recording that song is, should be paid. Like I don't get paid every time they use uh, stuff that I'm really proud of or I know I've made a difference of. It's in some ad on TV, for God's sake. And it wouldn't be there if, if it wasn't done a certain way, you know. Publishing, I don't get anything. It's all I get is recording royalty. As you know, there's two royalties on the yeah. song. The original the recording, whoever the artist is, and the writer. But it is really hard for, for me sometimes to, for a lot, a lot of the time, to, I, I, I'm a, a fortune. Well, I'm humbly fortune. glad that you were able to, you know, get the win on the Lost Boys soundtrack. Um, yeah, I've got a win. I've got, I've got yeah. a win on a few of them. You yeah. know, like, you know, In Excess have always been pretty good, even though that, you know, with the recent passing of Chris, it's been very upsetting for everybody because yes. we all know that he was indeed the seventh member of the band. We all know that, um, I'm just lovely. Oh. That's from oh. when we went the other day. That was for the wake. You know, for the funeral itself. Oh, for the funeral itself. Yeah, yeah. and um, photo. Uh, it is not a great photo. It'll be very Chris, mm. uh, but you know, like Chris was very controlling. You know, uh, you know when he came back into the band after his eight-year absence, he said, "I'm back, but I need to control everything." But I guarantee I'll make you big. I'll make you know whatever. He even said to me, "I'll make this band number one again." You mm. watch, and mm. we all laughed. I must admit, I even had a little snigger. But he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did when he came out with that TV series. He did. And and you guys mention it all the time how far where it is on the greatest hits is on the charts. 
you know, at, at, at the wake, I was speaking to Mark Fennessy, the producer uh, of Never Tear Us Apart, you know, when we, were after, we had a long bus ride back to the hotel together from Chris's place. And he said, ah, fucker, Chris, Jesus. You know, he did me up on the soundtrack. You know, I didn't get any of the soundtrack. I thought we had rights to the music and that, but the legal department didn't get the rights for us to release it as a record. Yeah. So the only way you could get it was on Greatest Hits, which is great because Chris did a great job, you know, yeah. for the band. And, well, what know, people but, don't realise is that pre that miniseries, that album was in the charts for 10 weeks. That's right. Since the miniseries has been in the charts for seven years. Oh, mate, I realise it. I know. Yeah. Because that's coming back to it. Because now because of all that and now because Chris controlled all the music, now, of course, my contracts for all the songs that I've done like that are lost in Chris Murphy land somewhere, which has got nothing to do with in excess land. Right. Because Chris has got total rights and control over all the music and has for another, another 10 years. Without, without prying too much, do you think yeah. that given the quickness of his passing, do you think he's left contingencies in place, left, right and mm. Knowing well, it, it, I won't be, I, I won't lie, you know, one of the first things that occurred to me was, well, gee, what's, the ship's just lost its rudder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, in the momentum of, there was one guy who was pushing in excess forward, 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 and it wasn't anyone in the band, it was Chris Murphy. He was coming up with these ways of keeping Chris in the public eye. Yeah. You guys do a great job, of course. But Chris was very inventive. And so I think everyone was taking a back seat. And you've got to remember, this took a lot, as you just pointed out, Hayden, it took a lot of people by surprise. The shock of Chris dying really blew me away. It was a shock. It was utter disbelief, as I said. I put a post, I think, on Instagram when I was at his wedding. And I said, you know, utter disbelief, uh, shock and something else. And that's what it was. And then the next thought, of course, is, well, who's going to untangle that mess? Isn't that funny? That, that struck me too. You know, the other day, you guys, I was listening to you were talking about the year 1991. Oh, okay. About some of the songs? You didn't mention Wembley once. No, because we, we, it's, it, the section of that pleasure and pain is about other artists. Okay. It's not about, um, but, it, but, we but, put it in as a bit of a puff piece if we need to fill some yeah, time. There, and there was another, there's something else in there too. I can't remember what it was. I was, I was surprised, but I can't. But the Wembley thing, I said, even though you'd spout other people, you'd think you'd say, well, of course, that was the year Wembley came out. Then just get on. <laughs> yeah, we've, been, we've, been, we've been educated and we take it on board. <laughs> no, no, no yeah, look, I don't, you guys. What, you didn't like right. my songs? <laughs> I, 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 I loved all your songs. I thought you were choice. Remember the band, really the Maybe Dolls, that song Nervous Kid? I, 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 I like B's song that's better than yours. Oh, okay. <laughs> I Actually, yours. Pedro pulled me up because um, um, Insomnia was came out in '94. Well, it probably. I did. says, "Well, I'll have to play it again." Well, look, she did steal unfinished symphony and a few of mine, but I'll I'll give her that. Yeah. I was going to say there must have been a few crossovers in there. That, well, yeah. there was. Yeah, I gave yeah. B the new ball, uh, Mark. Yeah, good on you, mate. You did a great <laughs> job because I thought yours was a bit cool. Yeah. Oh. Uh, a bit too cool for school in some parts. I, I think but, I had Lenny Kravitz. It ain't overthought's over. And, no, no, that was great. Because um, I, I haven't told you my Lenny Kravitz story, but we'll oh. save that for another time. <laughs> you know, I feel like there's an iceberg and we've only got the tip of 
Well, I, Mark. I think you're absolutely Mark correct. Berg. <laughs> I, I think you're, yeah, Zuckerberg. I think you're actually correct that, you know, we've jumped around from bit to and it's going to be a, a nightmare to edit together. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a double episode, uh, Mark. We'll, uh, but, but I'm quite happy to, to you know, go, you go away and think about proper questions again. You want me to pick up on them. We can do another one. That's not a problem. Um, yeah, look, I, we... I, I really believe in what you guys are doing. I really do. As I said, oh. when, I, when, when I first got onto it, because I don't usually, yeah, I, I see a lot of people taking advantage of different things, but I, I just thought from Tim's little intro, the way Andrew's little intro, the way you guys, uh, your enthusiasm, Hayden, your, your your line of questions, your line of thinking about things is really good. B's production and the way she melds together, she gives you so much room. Yes, which is which is great. Which you should be very grateful for. Oh, hundred percent. And she's uh, a total professional in the in the way she obviously does production and handles everything like that, and comes in and keeps things human sometimes when you don't. Which is, <laughs> but that's that's the geek in you. Don't take it the wrong way. But it's um it's 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 an absolute pleasure to be involved. I had a chat to at Christmas Wake to Kirk. I said to Kirk. You got to listen to these guys. You got to get involved, because you know, and yeah, and he said, yeah, yeah. Timmy's telling me the same thing, but I'm glad you said it as well. You know, (laughs) it it makes something. So it would be nice to hear from Kirk or one of the others. I mean, even like. But and I did mention, as I said to one of you, that you know, like to Kirk, they've even got this competition going about (laughs) about media tarts, and he and and Kirk said to me, "That's no competition. That's for real." Waving a nice to you at last year. This is Felicia Marie Carbonell, Sydney Party from San all right, B, that's a wrap, episode 42, uh, almost in the can. We go to fan engagement at this particular point in time, and I must say there is some significant fan engagement this week. We, this is global celebrity stuff. Over to you. <laughs> well, are they fun engagers, these two? But they started off a lot of fun engagement, I must admit. So we got on Twitter, which has been going pingy, pingy, pingy on my phone um, for about oh, a week. <laughs> we had um, Ryan Reynolds of Hollywood fame. Yep. He and Hugh Jackman, or as I like to say, Hugh Ackman. <laughs> Did you ever watch that film? <laughs> No. Uh, no. Oh, you'll have to watch it with Will. So, Night of the Museum, you, right, know, okay. you know, that, and he goes, Hugh Jackman. Right, <laughs> anyway, okay. right. Okay. So, those two fellas have um, only just watched Mystify the movie. Now, I've heard that globally, we're actually starting to think about our fellow human beings and ourselves and being appreciative of each other and of what we have. And I feel that this is part of what they're feeling, especially after hearing what um, Hugh Jackman had to say and I put that on the Hutch Nation page um, his video. Well I saw the posts you put up I haven't listened to it yet what does he say? You do need to listen to it mm. yeah he was just talking about um, two films that he'd watched and just saying you know these are just 
were humble men and they were caught in something that was bigger than than them and they just tried to you know lead a normal life even though they were perceived as something else in the public mm. eye and mm. um yeah it's tiny little piece that you said but this is the buzz thing this year is to appreciate what you have at whatever level you are in in society or in work and just be appreciative of where you are and what you've got Mm. yeah absolutely Mm. so so i think uh you know hugh obviously has come and said that and tell us about ryan reynolds had to say because i i did see his i think tweet saying oh just watch this incredible film blah 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 um did did he expand on that or that was pretty much what you saw as well yeah it's probably a bit much what he saw but he had thousands and thousands and thousands of people liking it and sharing it and retweeting it and um i i replied as the podcast saying if you if you fancy hearing a little bit more about um, yeah. um, uh, Michael and in excess, and uh, we've got lots of um, people come from that. So that's that's lovely that we've got those. I'll mention those people in a minute, and then somebody that we've had two people start liking us on Twitter. Twitter, like I say, is going off at the moment, and we've got a Mr. Richard L. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Oh, okay. Richard. L. <laughs> and it's pronounced Lowenstein. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Stein. We'll yeah, okay. Yeah. And a Luke Arnold. Oh, okay. Ooh. Ooh. Hello, now, Luke. Now explain for the listeners who don't know who Luke is. Luke um, was the main character who played Michael in the miniseries um, yeah. Never T- Change uh, Never Tear Us Apart. Never change, never change us apart. <laughs> never change. Never tear us apart. Don't, I will Don't edit tear that us out. apart what you need on the got that gift. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope we can get him on, Hayden. Well, without giving up too much confidences, I know uh, Luke sent a lovely uh, reply yes. to Nick Egan. Uh, I think Nick had just seen the series and was really sort of enamoured with the way, uh, you know, Luke portrayed Michael. And I think, you know, Luke um, was very humble in his reply about, you know, it was a privilege. And it would be great you just to sort of get Luke on uh, to talk a bit about how he prepared for the role and, it was really big shoes to fill, but I thought he did an excellent job too. In excellent job. Yeah. Well, I hadn't watched it since it um, was aired. What, what what year was that? Was that? 2014, 14, I think. 14, yeah. yeah. So I went and watched the first um, the first one last night. Oh, okay. And, uh, wow. He was really, really good. Yeah. Really good. Well yeah. done, Luke. It was fantastic. And watching it the second time, he's just, the way he swaggers and yeah. just like, goes into the camera and yeah well, really as good. i said the the production values we talked about uh, mm. with mark last week about the some of the demos that he put on the show and just highlighting again the production values of the filming you know with wembley and recreating it looked much more authentic than the queen movie did in recreating wembley in my yes opinion. Definitely. Um, it looks much more organic and real and things uh and seamless so um but just i guess as a comment overall i think with streaming services and with COVID, I mean, there's just been so many much more, uh, well, so, so many more opportunities for eyeballs to be watching some of these shows. Um, you know, it's great to hear that Mystify is on some of the platforms in America and people mm. are seeing it. Mm. You know, it's hard to get out to the cinemas and see movies at the moment with with uh, the pandemic and um, the miniseries people are seeing it around the world, like Nick's just seen it. And uh, it's awesome that, um, yeah, In Excess's music and, and, and career is being highlighted um, on these platforms. Uh, yeah. It might have yeah. just been released in America, hence why Ryan and Hugh Jackman just sort of, Ryan Reynolds, that is, and Hugh Jackman just saw it, you know? Yeah, because um, I've heard that it wasn't really that big in America, the miniseries, so let's hope it does um, does. 
explode over there. That would be Absolutely. great. Yeah. Okay. I've got a few more people to mention, if that's yes. all right. Just yes, um, because there, there's been quite a lot. Just like to say, Yvonne from uh, the Jetty Post Office as well. <laughs> we yeah, had a lovely okay. chat. Hello, Yvonne. Okay. Bye. And then we've got Dagmar. We've got Marcia. DJ Katerina. Queen Fangirl 17. Stefiana. <laughs> Lena. Yeah. Mata. Danielle F. Oh, sorry, Daniel F., Linda Mack, Fernandez, and I would like to say hello to these two lads that I met over the pages a long time ago, and um, they have pages as well, and they're fanboys of In Excess, and they are absolutely loving our show. They said right. they've been a bit busy and they've just come on board <laughs> at number 40. Yes. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> listen, listen to any order you like, you know. Yeah. And they said, you are, we are doing a really good job. Um, and that just means so much to us, doesn't it, absolutely. Hayden? Because yeah, like they are, uh, can, you know, they're, they're the same as us. They live in excess and they've, they also, um, you know, feel the same way. So thank you to Matt and Jimmy. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Mm. Um, okay. Well, uh, fan engages, it's getting bigger and things like that. And, you know, it's just awesome for people to mix in, getting to know each other and uh, and also just highlighting, you know, what great stuff Australian music is. Um, uh, in excess of such champions of Australian music and uh, we hope that through our podcast you're getting a chance to hear other bands that are linked to them or being inspired by in excess or... Or who in, who in, who in, uh, inspired in excess as well? So, uh, thank you to all you guys. Um, okay, uh, we're just tying tying things up. Uh, we are looking over the next couple of weeks. We did allude we want to do the album X uh, review. So uh, that and the Rock Hall of Fame are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and also, uh, I guess as I said, it's coming up to. 30 anniversary of Wembley. And I know we've alluded to this in discussions, but uh, we will be having a 30 anniversary extravaganza for Live Baby Live, Live Baby Live, Wembley, et cetera, uh, with Nick Egan and Mark oh, Oberts together. That's going to be so, fantastic. Wouldn't it be great if we could be in the one room for that and there's no COVID and we could have a real laugh about oh, that one. Oh, my God. To be in the room with those two. What about the stories fantastic. and the reminiscing about backstage <laughs> there, huh? Mm, I've heard a few. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard a few. Um, What did Mark say last week? Hey, hey, the stairs, uh, the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Michael? Uh, Or Mark, sorry. (laughs) Mark with the stairs. Talking about 30 years ago, um, my little beeline that I've been doing, I spoke to um, a guy from the Soup Dragon, the lead singer. His name is Sean Dixon. And it was just really a coincidental that I just looked at the tour dates that he actually was on tour with in excess. And it was to the day that I was speaking to him that he was in Philadelphia. Right. Um, with in excess right. 30 years ago to yeah. the day we were talking. It was just yeah. really ironic. And do you know what he said to me? He said, he remembers Michael coming in and saying, did a fantastic job. He's got some great stories. It's really good. Can't wait to yeah. put him yeah. on actually. Yeah. And he said, and then next minute there he's on stage in front of 30,000 people, you know, this little indie band. Yeah. And he said, and the and the crowd was singing back to him and their iconic song is, um, I'm free yeah, to yeah. do what I want. He yeah. says the whole crowd was singing back and he says, I had to stop and I was crying. He says, I looked at the bass player, he was yeah. crying. 
everyone you looked at the manager <laughs> they're all crying on stage oh yeah. wow yeah no, i'm looking forward to listening to that yeah it's good it's good <laughs> don't be afraid of your freedom All right. Uh, well, look, it's coming to the end of the show, and I guess you know. Thank you to Mark uh, for coming on again. No, Mark, not this. No, we've had enough. No, no. Stop. Sorry, Mark. Okay, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll do. Yep. What's that? Welcome to everybody. Yes, we will do that. Okay, no problems. Okay. Actually, B, B, you Mark's make- in the Mark's in the green room. He wants to. He wants to do episode three. He wants to get into the uh, honorary. Uh, Mark, we will get you in there. Okay, don't worry. rather heavy heart that we are actually dedicating this particular episode tonight to a very special lady who uh, was our first ever uh, patron and probably one of the very much uh, sweethearts of our community. And um, I know this particular week's been quite tough for her because um, she lost her mum after a bit of a battle with uh, a long-standing illness. And uh, I think she's only passed literally to today, the day of recording. So she's been a real sweetheart to us. Uh, she's been somebody who probably gave us confidence to make it to mm. episode two and three and four, yeah, uh, to be truthful. Um, and uh, look, she did, you know, she wasn't afraid of giving some tips and advice for the podcast early. Uh, <laughs> and you know, uppercut. Hey, didn't she you know, give you an uppercut at, cut at was, some point? Well, you know, she had a few tweaks and ideas there that I didn't listen to any. But uh <laughs> Like, uh, uh, but we love her. We love her, and we and and if we listen to her, we'd be doing a thirty-minute episode, which would not suit me, who waffles. But uh, we do love her, and I guess with a heavy heart, we do want to sort of say uh, to her that we are thinking of you on a day like today. There is a song we would like to go out with today that um, is a song produced by Mark Opet, so it does sort of tie in as a bit of a tribute to him. It, to me, it's in excess, like, arguably their greatest ballad, and it is a song that maybe not is always associated with their greatest ballad but I think this is musically one of their greatest and it does sort of have a lyric in it that I think probably sums up um, just how we feel about life and parents and things and you know unfortunately I had to bury a parent a couple of years ago which was really hard and you know I guess the the, the song uh, reflects it and it's uh, not enough time so today Carmen we're thinking of you we dedicate this to you and we say uh, we love you and we're thinking of you and your family uh, and hope you can get through a tough period uh, as you're going through um, and we wish you the best. Uh, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. We love you, Carmen. Bye-bye. Not enough time. Uh, there's a video, uh, lots of clocks, um, water, uh, some great shots of um, the contrast between flame and water and um, in a fire and water um, and this sort of silky silhouette type images appearing again. Um, uh, also the suits have come back for this one um, and I think the suits were uh, also part of that whole uh, you know what we were wearing around Welcome to Wherever You Are during the making of that whole album. We were we took them on, you know, took them on, put them on, took them off, you know, and swapped the, you know, a lot of those sort of things around. But interestingly enough, in different parts of the world, you know, as we were moving around making different, you know, 
parts for that album. Um, also, we did a photo shoot out in the desert in Australia with those suits on too, from memory. So they got around. And I just stank too. <laughs> After you, anyway. Um, yeah, hope you like it. Everything and everyone to you Not enough time 